I was very fortunate and I was blessed to grow up in a very loving family. My mom and dad made a priority out of school. They were very supportive of the school I went to, PTA. They made sure that I was going to study hard and make good grades. They were prioritized going to church. We went to church almost every Sunday. Sunday school, worship. When I got older, it was the youth group. No, we made church a priority in growing in faith. My parents made sports a priority. I had the opportunity to play baseball, and I loved playing baseball. I was very involved in sports. My father helped to coach the team I was on. But in the end, they made sure that sports never overruled school or church. Now, my mom and dad were very loving. My dad was kind of quiet. Maybe that's because my mother liked to talk. I mean, she always liked to talk. She talked and talked and talked. And I have to admit, as a kid growing up, I loved talking with her. And so we would share and I would enjoy talking to mom about all kinds of things through the years growing up. And it was very clear that my mom and dad were very well aware of all that was going on around them in the world. And they had very real opinions about all the things that were going on. And what we as a country and we as individuals should be doing, what was right, what was wrong. Now remember when I was growing up, it was the 1960s. The 1960s, a time of civil rights, protest, all of the marches, all of the rioting that was going on, that was a big time. And then, of course, there wound up being Vietnam, all the protest over Vietnam, the reports night after night of how many had been killed. There was Watergate. What would ultimately force President Nixon from office? I mean, it was such a scandal, and it shook our faith in government. And then the assassinations, John F. Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr. But at the same time, we were on our way to the moon. And, and what an exciting time it was at that, to be going to the moon in the 1960s. And we were living in Houston, right beyond NASA. So that was near and dear to our hearts. That was so exciting. But then again, it was the time of such social upheaval. It was a time of Elvis Presley and the Beatles. It was a time of, of long hair and hippies. No, it was a time of great upheaval. And as I said, my parents knew what they believed and what should we be doing and what was right and wrong. And, and we would talk and share about those kinds of things. And it was clear to me. But I will never forget... The day I was at school as a teenager, walking across the campus, and I started thinking about the problems going on in our country. And I don't even remember what problem it was that we'd been discussing in class. But I remember thinking how I knew my mom and dad had the answer and what was right. But as I came out of class that day, I started thinking, Maybe it's not so clear. Maybe it's not so black and white. Maybe it's not so right and wrong. Maybe there isn't one right answer. It was one of those seminal aha moments. You mean there isn't just one answer? 
There isn't a clear truth about what we should do in this moment about this problem. I mean, that just kind of shook my foundation because it had always been so clear. I knew what they believed, they told me, and now I had to look at maybe there were other answers. And it sure made me stop and think, what is the truth and what should we do? And that really spurred a growth in my faith journey. Sunday school, worship, youth group became even more important. Became more important because I wanted to know what did Jesus have to say? What were the teachings of Jesus? What did the Bible have to say? I mean, I felt like it would be the Bible and the teachings of Christ that would help me to know what is the answers? What is it we should do? What is the truth about this matter? And so it was a time of real growth as I began to learn. I knew that what I was looking for was a new plumb line. What was the foundational principle out of which I wanted to square all of my beliefs? You had to have some sort of guiding principle. But even as I studied the Bible, I found that it didn't really address all the questions I had. There were still social issues that the Bible doesn't talk about. They weren't issues 2,000 years ago. And so though I looked for answers, I could not find them. I mean, for instance, I looked for the answer. Is it all right to grow long hair and have sideburns? My father had the answer to that question, but I think I had a different answer. The Bible didn't seem to have anything to say about it. There were far more important issues to be looking for answers. And I remember talking with my mom. As I was getting closer to going off to college, we were simply visiting about the world and still what all was happening and going on. And I said, you know, sometimes it's really hard to know what we should do. And I'll never forget, she said to me, Bob, we have been taught that you need to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, you'll be okay. A new plumb line, a new foundational principle. How are you going to guide your thinking and your decisions? Do you love the Lord your God? And do you love your neighbors yourself? This morning, I want to continue on with this sermon series, Love Without Exception. And we said that we are going to look at Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the 13th chapter, for seven weeks. For seven weeks in a row, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13, going through verse by verse to see what Paul is saying to the early church and what I believe Paul is saying to us today. You see, when you go back, you have to remember who was Paul speaking to. He was speaking to a very successful church that he had started. It had gone well. It had grown in numbers. It had grown in strength and influence in the community. And yet they were living in a very difficult world where the Romans still ruled and there were all the pagan beliefs and ideas. And within the church, though, there began to be struggles. They were being pulled apart because they had different ideas. 
One of the major struggles they were having was should you speak in tongues? And do you have to speak in tongues in order to be saved? Are you better if you speak in tongues than somebody who does not? And should you prophesy? Remember we said that means to point out what other people are doing wrong. Is it about being generous and giving gladly? Is it about sacrificing for your faith? No, they were really wrestling with this and they were getting at each other and really believing each group had some truth that the other group didn't have. And so Paul starts off 1 Corinthians 13 by saying, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, and that's pretty good. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have all prophetic powers and understand all mystery and have all knowledge, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I have faith so as to remove mountains, Jesus talked about that, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, that's pretty generous. If I give my body to be burned, if I'm willing to be burned at the stake and sacrifice my life for the faith, but I have not love, I'm nothing. Paul is trying to talk to this church and trying to reset the foundation. What's that plumb line? What's that number one value to which we will all adhere that will affect how we treat one another and what we say and what we do? And so Paul goes on in the scripture to today's reading in which Paul then says to the early church, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. You know, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I grew up, when I became a man, I gave away my childish ways. Now what Paul is basically saying here to the church in Corinth is, you're acting like children. Grow up. You're acting like children. Selfish self-centered. It's all about me. I know what I want and if I don't get my way, I'm going to throw a tantrum. You're acting like children. Put away your childish ways. Now understand, what we're talking about here is not about age. It has nothing to do with growing up in age. It has everything to do with our heart. Are we still living with a heart that is selfish, self-centered, rigid and egotistical? Are we talking about a heart of compassion, a heart of empathy, a heart of kindness, of love? What is Paul asking out of the church in Corinth? What is Paul asking out of you and me? What does it mean to give up our childish ways? It's what I want us to think about this morning. And I I just want to share with you two thoughts. First of all, when you look at 1 Corinthians in totality, it really is interesting. Paul begins by asking the people to examine their motivation. Why do you want to speak in tongues? 
Why do you want to prophesy? Why are you willing to be generous? Why would you die for your faith? Is your motivation love? So often as a child, it's not out of love. It's because it's what I want. It makes me feel good. I'm the center of the world. Is your motivation out of love? That's what he asked him to start off by looking. He then says, love is patient and kind. And then he goes on to tell him all that love is not. Love isn't arrogant or boastful or rude or jealous. It doesn't insist on its own way. Um, it is not irritable and resentful. It goes, all the things love is not. And then it tells us what love does. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And then Paul goes into a section reminding us that we don't have all the truth. We don't have all the truth, and we're going to look at that section for three weeks. But I want to go back for a moment, because if you just heard when I listed through here, only in one verse does Paul talk about what love is. And he only uses two words. Out of all 1 Corinthians 13, what is love? It is patient and kind. Wow. Love is kind. A commitment to be kind. To be motivated out of love, kindness, a sense of compassion. That's what he's asking out of the church. I've been learning a lot about a young lady recently. She is Time Magazine's um, Kid of the Year. Gitanjali Rao. Gitanjali Rao. 15 years old. She was chosen out of 5,000 nominations. Now, Gitanjali is an amazing young lady. She lives in Denver, Colorado. And this is the first time they've ever had a kid of the year. They've always had man of the year, woman of the year. They started calling it person of the year in Time magazine. First time they've had kid of the year. They're going to start doing that. Gitanjali Yao, she's the first one chosen. She loves doing things like she loves music. She plays classical piano very well. She loves to sing. She loves swimming. She loves folk dancing, Indian folk dancing. Her parents are both from India. She has been raised here. I mean, she, she loves um, science. She loves learning how to fly. She's already become a pilot, doesn't have a driver's license, but you can fly before you can become a, uh, a licensed driver. No, she loves very much um, hiking and baking. She's a lady of all kinds of interest because she's incredibly curious. She said it goes all the way back to when she was four years old. Her uncle gave her a, a chemistry set and, and she set to work and she began trying to do all the experiments in a single day. She just couldn't stop. She was so curious and she loved playing with this chemistry set. And it really kind of opened up a world to her of, of science and how much she loved it. And so she's continued to always want to learn about things. And, and she's always believed that science could be used as a blessing for people. It's when she was about 12 years old 
that we had a problem with water in Flint, Michigan. You will certainly remember that. Lead in the water. And when she heard on the news that children were suffering because of the water that they were drinking, she immediately thought back to when she had been in India at her grandparents. And for her grandmother, she had gone to a well to get water and she had drank some of it and, and she was sick for a week. And as she thought about these children in Flint, Michigan, who were drinking water with lead and what was it doing to them? And so she wanted to do something about it. And one of the favorite places she goes just to read for fun is MIT's website. She learns about all the cool things that are going on at Massachusetts Institute for Technology. And she had learned about the carbon nanotube system technology. It was all about how they had created this, this tube, this nanotube with carbon that would attract particles. Uh, and, and she got to thinking, we could do this to see if there is lead in water. So she told her parents, you know, I, I want to go to the, the Denver Water Quality Resource Lab. And they, okay. They took her down and she began to explain to some of the people there what she wanted to do. They were so impressed with her idea and her passion, they said, you can come use the research lab. So she started going there. She started working with them and then going home and she kept trying to figure it out. She wanted to create a device that was portable, <coughs> that was very inexpensive, that was simple. She created an app so that with Bluetooth technologies so that as these things went through this nanotube, they would give a reading and you could then get it on your phone and it would simply tell you, safe, not so safe, extreme danger. She worked and worked and worked on it and she created this incredible device. She's now found backers. They are working and trying to bring it into production just because she wants it to be able to be used by children, not only in Flint, but anywhere in the country, anywhere around the world. Portable, inexpensive, simple, clear. She wanted to confront that issue. So she's created this device before she was 15 years old. It's while she was watching the news, she also learned that there in Denver, they have the highest teenage suicide rate in the nation. And one of the big issues that people confront nowadays is bullying on social media. So she decided to create an app to help deal with bullying. An app where she had put in some words and then she was using artificial intelligence to be able to receive what was coming in and to be able to then tell you if it was bullying. I mean, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, wow, she's creating an app to protect people from bullies. But as I went back and read this, trying to understand more what she was doing, I realized, no, 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 she was creating an app to keep us from being a bully. The idea was, she said, you know, sometimes as teenagers, we just kind of pop off and we get sort of angry. And so I thought, if we could have an app where we could put in what we were getting ready to say to somebody, that's when it would be able to tell us, is this going to be perceived as being arrogant and mean and rude? Is it going to be bullying? And once we see that, then you can decide if you want to say it in a different way. 
Or do you want to send it the way that it is? But I just thought all of us would do better if we took a moment to think about what we were about to say. I like, wow. What if all of us would take a moment to what we're going to put on social media or text or email and run it through the Spirit of Christ to think about how it's going to be received. She calls her app kindly. I wanted teenagers to have the opportunity to act a little more kindly towards one another. What is love? Paul said love is patient and kind. You know, I remember Abraham Joshua Heschel. He's a great Jewish theologian, philosopher. He was originally from Poland. And he was very big in the 1960s in the middle of the civil rights movement. And he wrote a lot and spoke a lot. And so when I was in seminary, um, I was reading some of Abraham Heschel. And this is years ago. But I've always remembered one of his statements. He said, When I was younger, I really admired clever people. But as I got older, I admired people who were kind. Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. Children can say harsh and mean things. They say what's on their mind, what they want, what they think. But as we mature in Christ, maybe we learn to think about those things we say and learn to say them in a kindly way if our commitment really is to be the disciples of Jesus Christ. To have a foundation of love. And what that means, Paul said, well, love is patient and kind. Second, I think what Paul was asking out of the people in Corinth was to be less rigid, dogmatic. All the different groups felt like they had the truth. They knew the right answer and they were trying to force it on everybody else. And one of the things that we certainly know is that whenever you have all the truth, well, that leads to certainty, a sense of certitude in yourself. You are certain. And when you are certain you have all the truth, well, that leads to judgment. And when you are certain and you become judgmental, it always leads to persecution, aggression, whether that winds up being physical Verbal, emotional. Paul's trying to say, we looked at last week, our knowledge is imperfect. Our prophecies are imperfect. Well, this week he wants to come back and try to address that again by saying, you know, when I was a child, I reasoned like a child. 
And how does a child reason? Well, a child knows that they know what they want, they have the truth, and they throw a fit if they don't get it. What does it mean to be called to a lifelong journey of growing? And I'd like to talk about my faith journey. A sense of growing and learning all of your life to where you have what you believe is true, but as you go through life, you begin to modify or change. And sometimes you just have to embrace mystery. We're going to talk about that next week. But what does it mean to be able to say, I know what I believe, but I also know that I could be wrong. Nobody has all the truth. And so I want to be a part of a lifetime journey of learning and growing until I grow all the way into the mystery of Almighty God. A lifetime journey of learning and growing. You know, I, it was a year and a half ago that an initial group of us went to, to Africa and we went to Kenya looking for a new place where we could create a partnership where people might want to go and help be a part of a church and a community, just like we did in Russia, like we've been doing in Honduras, like we've been helping in Alaska. We thought this could be another wonderful place for us to, to go and truly make a difference. And when we went there to Africa and we met with these different local people, you know, there, there was two things that I was so struck with. And first of all was their faith. Every group we met with, when we all got together, the first thing they wanted to do was say a prayer. And their tradition is, you stand to pray. And so we would all stand and they would offer a prayer. But the other thing that was also so very clear was this incredible commitment to education, to learning and growing. They wanted their children to get an education. They were concerned about all children being able to go to school. And I didn't fully appreciate why there was such this push for education until I learned that it wasn't until the year 2003 that Kenya created education for all children. No, you had to have money, you had to have opportunity and means to get an education before then. It was the first time free education would be offered to all children first through eighth grade. That's a big deal. And they're still trying to get this all into place and helping children have this opportunity and not have to go work in the fields. Well, it reminded me a story of a man named um, Kumani Murangi. Kumani Murangi. Kamani was born back around 1920. We don't know exactly, but he thinks around 1920. He was the oldest of seven children. And of course, they were trying to survive. All children had to go to work in the fields. He never had the opportunity to learn to read or write or math. He just went and worked in the fields. Life was hard. But finally, in 1950, you know, the British still ruled Kenya and they decided they wanted to throw off British rule. And so there was this war, this revolution to get rid of the British. And he was a part of that war. And there was so much bloodshed and so much killing. But they did throw the British out and they became free. He never wanted to see that again. He got married. He had several children. 
He worked hard, trying to live a good life and to be a part of family. And now it's 2003. He was 84 years old. And when he heard they were going to offer free education for all the children there in Kenya, he decided he wanted to learn how to read and write. And so on that first day when school would be offered in January there of 2004, he showed up at class. And here were all these children. Some were first grade age, some were third grade, fifth grade, all kinds of ages of kids because no one had ever gone to first grade. And there he was, 84, the oldest among all the children. And they said, you can't come. Why not? I, I want to learn to read. You're too old. They wouldn't let him in. Come on, he thought, you know, they're not letting me in because I don't look like the other kids. So that day he went home and he got some socks that came up to his knee and khaki shorts and a blue shirt just like the other kids. And the next day he showed up looking just like the children. And I said, you can't come in, but I want to learn. They ran him off. But he came back on the third day. They ran him off. He came back on the fourth day. They ran him off. He came back on the fifth day. And they finally said, all right. He came into class. He was very respectful of the teachers and of the children. He had so much fun with the children. He did all of his assignments. He was always early to school. The teachers began to really like Kamani, and the children certainly did, but not all the other adults did. I mean, there were many adults who were saying, you're 84 years old. Why do you need to be learning? You're taking up space in a classroom. They're already crowded. You don't need to be there. No, they knew the truth, what he needed to do. And so when he walked to and from school, they threw rocks at him. Some would curse him because they knew what was right for him to do. But he kept coming all the way through that first grade. And at the end of that year, the children voted him number one school boy. They loved him, as did the teachers. He came on into the second year of going to school. And, and there was an organization that was trying to help all countries offer education, free education to their countries. And they learned the story of Kamani. And so they came to him and asked him, would you come to New York, to the UN? They put him on a plane. They flew him to New York. He'd never been on a plane in his life. Never been out of small villages and you find yourself in New York addressing the United Nations. His message was pretty simple. You are never too old or too young to learn. Everyone must be given the opportunity to grow. He came back home, continued his studies. People ask him, why did you want to learn to read? Why did you want to learn math? And he said, my children write me letters. My grandchildren write me letters. I want to be able to read them. I want to be able to read what the government is saying. I'm not always sure I agree. I wanted to read and do math because there have been people down through the years in business who knew that I couldn't read and do math, and I have a feeling they took advantage of me. But the number one reason that I wanted to learn how to read is so that I could read the Bible. He explained that he had always gone to church, 
But since he couldn't read the Bible, he had to count on other people telling him what to believe. And he said, I want to read the Bible for myself so that I can listen then to God speak to my heart. He continued to grow in his faith and understanding. And at 89 years old, Kamani was baptized at the Holy Trinity Catholic Church there in his community. But it was at 89 years old that he also developed stomach cancer. And as it was becoming obvious, he was not going to get better. He finally had to stay at home. But his teachers had so fallen in love with him, they were now coming to his home to give him his lessons. Even though he was 89 and he knew that he was dying, he said, I really believe you're supposed to keep learning and growing all the days of your life. And Kamani would continue to grow till the day that he died. The British were so impressed, even though he had helped the revolution and overthrow them, they made a, mu uh, a movie called The First Grader about his life and the inspiration to make a commitment to a lifetime of growing and learning. I think that's what Paul was asking out of the Corinthians. He had told us last week, our knowledge is imperfect and our prophecies are imperfect. And so he tells us this week, so stop acting like a child. I used to speak like a child and I would think like a child. I reasoned like a child. But you finally have to put away those childish things. It's not about age. It's about your heart. I remember when I finally was in seminary and getting to study so many cool things. But it did raise a lot more questions in my faith. And I remember coming home and talking to my mom. And I was telling her, you know, I'm really not sure all about my ecclesiology, my Christology. Um, I'm not sure what I believe about apocalyptic literature and the end of all times. And I was sharing all about what I'm learning about Karl Barth and Paul Tillich and Friedrich Schleiermacher. These were all things mom did not understand. She did not have a seminary education, but she loved to hear me talk about them and all the issues that I was wrestling with and learning in seminary. And I went through all of it and saying, you know, it's really confusing at times. And I'll never forget my mother said, no, it's not. I taught you better than that. What's important is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, it's going to be okay. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.
Amen.